Colossians 3. Um, I'll be honest, when I came to this passage this week to study it, um, in order for tonight, um, I realized something, something that doesn't happen a lot to me when I come to Scripture, but I felt uneasy about it. Um, frankly, I didn't like the passage a little bit at first. And that got me to thinking. Most times when I open the Bible, I'm like, yeah, this is good. I love it. It's great. It's going to be challenging. But it's rare where I come to a point in Scripture to where I really feel like this rubs against culture. Like this really kind of like itches at me a little bit. And I didn't know why. And so if I'm going to assume that the Bible is right and this is God-inspired and that, that the problem is not with the words but it's with me, I really had to do a hard job at piecing together what was going on in my heart. And so tonight we're going to be talking about how the gospel affects our relationships. And primarily we're going to look about how the gospel affects the relationships that are most close to us. And if we remember a little bit, in the book of Colossians, Paul is trying to talk to people who think that being a Christian is all about having these big, grand spiritual moments. In chapter 2, we saw that these people in Colossae, who Paul was writing to, they boasted of having visions with angels. They boasted of asceticism, where they would starve themselves of food and sex and say, look at me, I'm super spiritual for doing these things. And if you remember, at Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1, Paul says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above. Where Paul was talking a lot about what, is it, what does it mean to be in Jesus. And then he says, if you're a Christian, you are someone who is heavenly minded, but you're also earthly good. Now there's this word that I, that I really think I'm, I'm really leaning towards this way because like this lopsided. So all of you over there, I apologize. The few, the proud, the guys on the left, right? There's a, there's a word I like to use in the Christian life and it's the word balance. The word balance. Sometimes we have the tendency of focusing on one too much of um, a certain side of a topic. And for instance, the people in Colossae, they just thought about, I can just be super spiritual, I can pray a lot, I can worship with the angels, and that didn't result into them actually doing anything in their day-to-day -day life. And on the flip side of that, there are people who think I can just do, be a good person, and I can just be nice to people and obey my parents, and I don't ever need to pray or worship or, or have a spiritual life with God and be in union with Christ. And so Paul is trying to say that no, as a Christian, you are connected to Christ, you have a spiritual life with him, but that also results in how you live your life day to day. So let me put this another way. If you think that you are a Christian and you believe in heaven, you believe that Jesus died for your sins, but that doesn't affect how you live your life day to day, Paul says you're missing something. Our tendency as Christians is to say, yes, Jesus, I love you, but I don't want you to come in and tell me how I should spend my time. Jesus, I believe in you, but I don't want you to tell me how I should date someone. Or I don't want you to come and tell me how my sexuality should be. Or I don't want you just to tell me how I should live my life. I, I believe in you, but we don't really invite Jesus in to every aspect of our life. And that is what Colossians 3 has all been about. That Paul says, if you are heavenly minded, 
If you have been raised with Christ, you are earthly good. And we talked about how we put off the evil desires. We put on righteousness. That affects our relationships. And so tonight, we're looking at this passage that people call the household code. Paul is saying that the gospel should affect the closest relationships to you. And the closest relationships to you are the people who you live with. So let's read the passage. Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands, as is fitting to the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bond servants, Obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you have also that you also have a master in heaven. Let's pray. God, we pray as we come to this passage, Lord, that you would um, challenge us, Lord, that you would help us to know that your word is right and correct and it is good. And Lord, any hesitancy we have with this passage, help us to know, Lord, that that, that is our our sin and our selfishness coming through, Lord, and we pray that it would be your word that would straighten us out. God, help us to be people who are in line with what your word says. For your name's sake, we pray. Amen. So, Paul says the gospel should affect your closest relationships, and that means that it should affect the people in your house. Now, that passage we just read, when the original audience who Paul's writing to, so if you look really quick at um, the very first verse in the book of Colossians. So you got to flip over a page. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy our brother, to the saints and faithful brothers in Christ at where? Colossae. So, right then and there, we see who Paul was writing to. Did that passage, that verse we just read, did it say, to the saints and believers in the youth group at Olympia, Washington in the year 2016? Did it, did it say that? No. So Paul is talking to a specific audience, and when they would have read this passage, they would have been very well accustomed. Because they were used to, in Greek culture, they had rules for what a typical house should look like. A lot of times, the rules in Greek culture, they pointed towards the natural order. The natural order of things says that a man is strong, a woman is weak, therefore a man should lead and a woman should submit. The natural order says that a child is young and naive and needs to be trained, therefore the child should submit to his parents. The natural order said that, that masters were um, better than their slaves, and therefore the slaves need to be subservient to their masters. And so it's actually, a, in a way, very strikingly um, similar to a household code that they would have seen in their own culture. Now, when I think of a household code, we don't really have certain norms. I mean, we live in a very diverse country, so 
you have um, a lot of single parent homes in America. You have multi-ethnical parents. You have parents that are, um, you have two dads and you have two moms. You have a, a diverse amount of household norms in America. Now, I had a friend who, um, he goes to Libya, li excuse me, not Libya, Liberia. And Liberia, for the longest time, was ravaged with uh, civil war. And so it went on for so long, war in this country, that people forgot what it was like to even be human. And so he was telling me, in one of the main cities there in Liberia, there are posters all around, and it just shows pictures. And it shows like kind of like, um, like a visual of a man getting on top of a woman, almost as to rape her. And it says, no, this is inappropriate. Government had to tell people that rape was wrong. Their country was so distorted, so, they got so, I guess, animal-like during war that they didn't even know that rape was wrong. They had to be told that. When, I, when you have a kid in the hospital, they send you with this huge packet of like, how to be a good parent, okay? And so there's this one little book that I was reading. It says, when your baby is crying, what are some things to do to help, you know, your fussy baby, and one of them was, show the picture what not to do. Don't shake your baby, okay? So the hospital, and whoever like the American Association of Pediatrics probably puts this out, has to give you pictures of describing of what not to do in your home. So in, in some ways we have this. We have norms and customs, like, hey, don't shake your kid. And, and, you, and you think, honestly, like you literally think that's a given, but until you hold a six-month-old child who's been crying for two hours and nothing, nothing that you've tried is making this child stop crying, you'd be surprised, shocked at the depravity in your heart to be mad at a child. Speaking from personal experience a little bit. Um, so, they're used to this. They're, they're familiar with what it looks like for a, a common household to happen. But Paul is saying, listen, when you become a Christian, if you've been raised with Christ, the people in your house should be the people who are most effective. So although it looks similar, Paul actually infuses a large amount of what it looks like to be under the lordship of Christ in a family. So if you look down really quick at verse 18, it says, the Lord. If you look at verse 20, again, it says, the Lord. If you look at verse 22, it says, fearing the Lord. If you look at verse 23, for the Lord. For the Lord, verse 24, the Lord and the Lord Christ. So although it looks similar, Paul says a typical household is different than what culture is. Do you know why? Because ultimately the people in a house that are Christian serve the Lord. There's three relationships that Paul says that need to be most affected by the gospel in your life, okay? So let me be very clear. Before we dive into these, what these three look like, Paul is saying before you are a Christian, before your friends, before your, your witness for Christ affects the lost of this world and people you run across with, the gospel first needs to affect the people you live with. That is why sometimes you'll hear me say, if you're with me one-on-one, -on -one, that your first mission field is always, always, always your home. Whether you live with Christians, if you have parents who are believers, great, or if you have parents or siblings that are not Christians, your first mission field is always your home. 
If you cannot learn to live out the gospel with the people you live under the roof with, if you can think that you can live however you want at home and go out and try to live a good Christian life, you're fooling yourself. And Paul is saying before, you, before the gospel goes out anywhere, it needs to happen in the home. So there's three relationships, and all three relationships start with someone having to submit to someone else. And all three relationships show a, a most important. So wives and husbands are the most important. After that, children's and parents. That's the second most important. And then after that, we'll see slaves and masters. So let's look down really quick at husbands and wives. Verse 18. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. And husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Now let me point out an observation. Do you notice that in that relationship between husbands and wives, there is no order of who's more important or who's better? Okay? I think a lot of times when our culture kind of rubs up against this type of passage, we think, well, why does the woman have to submit? Is the woman lesser? And if you notice, like, Paul has nothing to say about that. Just because there is an order of hierarchy doesn't mean that is wrong. And so, wives submit to your husbands as is fitting to the Lord. He's saying that ultimately, if you are a wife, and, and let me say a quick disclaimer, a lot of you, you might want to hear this and stock it away for future use. Because um, I'm married, and Tyler and Rachel are married, and uh, no one else in this room. So in one sense, this is good stuff to hear and to maybe think about later. Wives, submit to your husbands as it is fitting to the Lord. So ultimately, he's saying, wives, you need to submit to your husband because ultimately... By obeying and submitting under the authority of your husband, you are doing so for Christ. If you look back at verse, chapter 1 and verse 15, he says, He is the image of the invisible God, Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things were created through him and for him. Paul is trying to say, listen, Jesus, the person who was crucified for your sake, he has made all things, he sustains all things, he is over the church, therefore, make him Lord of your life. Both of those, two of those songs that we just sang, talked about how Jesus is Lord of all. Paul is saying to the whole book of Colossians, make Jesus supreme in your life. Treat Jesus like he is the most important thing. How do you do that? How do you treat Jesus most important in your life? Well, if you're a wife, it's by submitting to your husband. If you're a husband, it says, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. You know, I'm married, and her name is Amy, and she is great. I love her. She is a fierce woman who is an awesome mother as well. But do you know what is so unique, unique about her submission to me? is that I am a flawed, sinful man who at times makes very poor decisions. And you know what? She submits anyways. She doesn't submit just because I'm always wrong and because uh, I kind of have this power thing and get in line, woman, you do what I say. She submits ultimately because it shows her love for Christ. Now, now so let me, let me draw this out a little more. When I see my wife submit to me when I am doing wrong, 
it shows me and it encourages me that ultimately she loves Jesus enough to submit to me. I spent seven years in Chicago. I did a lot of school. I went to college there, got my bachelor's degree. Then I went and got my master's degree in seminary. And so at that point, we had started our family. Our twins were just a couple of months old. And we began looking about relocating, okay? So it's kind of a big decision, right? You have a family, you're married now for a couple of years, and you're, and you're thinking about where are we going to kind of settle down? Um, so I began this process of applying and candidating at churches. Now, in that situation, I once had a friend say, um, we're talking about a certain location, and I was saying one of the cons was of this location that my wife wasn't really keen on the location. It was kind of um, in the middle of nowhere, kind of withdrawn, pretty far from family. And he says, well, who cares, you know, like just make her submit. And I like this guy enough to where I kind of ignored that comment. But that's the exact kind of thinking I think sometimes when we rub against culture, that my wife is just going to submit. I'm just going to take her somewhere that she doesn't want to be. Which is said, like, no, like, I love my wife. I care about her. I want her to be happy. I want to have, provide the best life possible. And so in that decision process, we had a, a few opportunities, maybe go to California, other places in Washington, um, a few other places around the country. Me and my wife talked the whole time, pros and cons. She was in that conversation. Why? Because that's her life too. I am responsible ultimately to my wife and my family. And even though my wife has to submit, I have the larger responsibility that one day I will have to give an account for the people that God put under my authority. And so out of my love for my wife, I listened to her. I cared about where she wanted to be and, and where we wanted to raise our kids. And ultimately, here we are in Olympia, Washington. But I made that decision finally for our family. But it was not a decision where I just said, oh, you know, I don't care what you think, Amy. I'm just going to do it, and you're going to follow and be submissive. If I did that, I hope she would push back and you know, say that's not right to talk to your wife that way. But I think ultimately she would, because why? She loves Christ. And submission to your husband is to love Christ. And to love your wife is for me to live under the rule of Christ. Um, so I don't know if that helps you, because none of you are married. But... Stock it away for future use. How we show our living for Jesus is by how we live out the relationships that are closest to us. So this next relationship will hit a little closer to home for all of us, not just some of you. So verse 20, children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Now, if you notice for a second, he uses the word fathers. Do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. And um, we live in a day and age where there are plenty of people who grew up in a home without a father. And so I think Paul is just presuming that more likely that, that person, father, is going to be the disciplinary. But any person in your family who takes that rule of um, provides discipline and like the rules has a responsibility to the children. So I am a father of three. I am ultimately going to be held accountable to how I dealt with my children. Okay? 
Do not provoke them to anger. Because ultimately, I have to understand that I serve a master and I cannot just, he doesn't bark orders at me to where I am provoked to anger. And I have to treat my kids the same way in which God has treated me. But children, obey your parents in everything. Now, every single person in this room, whether you live with your parents or just your mom or just your dad or live with your grandparents, at times we rebel, we do not like what our parents tell us to do. Granted, there are people in this room where you have a better relationship with your parents than other people do. But if you are human, at one point in your life, probably daily, you war against what your parents tell you to do. Here's the thing. At times, your parents can be wrong. And at times, they probably are wrong. And at times, when they tell you to do something and they aren't being fair, you might actually be right. They might not be fair. They're, they're probably not hearing the whole side of the story. And they're still telling you what to do. But our living under the rule of Christ means that ultimately, when we obey our parents, we are not primarily doing it to make our parents happy. But we are obeying our parents because primarily it makes God happy. When your parents this week, I'm sure it'll happen at some point, tell you to do something that you don't like, when your parents mishandle a situation and you feel like it's all wrong and they're treating you poorly, God still expects for you to obey. That's all. Let that sink in for a second. How many of you, when you're told to do something or when something unfairly is brought upon you, immediately start arguing back or don't do it? Or how, how often do you actually just straight disobey your parents? I'd never do that, Aaron. No, not me. Do you see the reason why he tells us to obey our parents? For this pleases the Lord. You see, honestly, guys, I'll be honest, I kind of wish that someone would have either told me this or reminded me this when I was in high school. You guys get into the age where you kind of like can start thinking a little more clearly about things. You have a little more responsibility, a little more freedom. Some of you can drive. You're kind of starting to catch up a little bit to what's going on in the world. And you kind of think that you, you know a little more. Sometimes you think you know more than you do. And that's true of me as well. So I'm in that category as well. But when our parents tell us to do something, sometimes it just, it's not convenient. It doesn't fit right. But let me, let me give you some encouragement. This is not a death sentence. This is an encouragement. Because when you, please, when you obey your parents, you are ultimately pleasing the Lord. You see, for those of you who already kind of have a good status relationship with your parents and you seem to obey and you're doing what they want you to do, be encouraged. Be encouraged that ultimately God is pleased with a child who obeys their parents. And let me tell you, if you're in a, in a home where sometimes it is overbearing, where you kind of look at this and you say, man, I wish my dad would read this. Like, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger. Like, he needs to read that, which I'd say, read your own mail. 
you know? Just fo focus on the children part. <coughs> know that even at times, if your parents are wrong, which I'll probably take their side in it anyways, but even if they are wrong, you can still please the Lord by obeying them. Paul expects this and assumes this. Lastly, the, the third relationship he talks about is a relationship that I think is maybe one of the hardest. Slaves and masters. And if you notice in this household code, um, he spends the most time talking about slaves and masters. And does anyone here have an ESV Bible that they're reading from? What word do they use, first word in verse 22? Bondservant. So the word there is actually slave, but um, some translations actually kind of like they interpret it for you because when we think of the word slave, a lot of times we think of the very evil, wicked, chattel slavery um, of the South in which people were property and they were property for life and just a horrible type of slavery. But honestly, the type of slavery that Paul is addressing here in Colossae is a type of slavery in which it was more so a house servant. And that's why slaves and bond servants were included in this household code in which a lot of times the relationship was pretty close. They lived in their home. And slavery back then, they, there was an estimate that at least half the people in the world of this time were slaves. A lot of times people could purchase their freedom out of slavery. So it's not the type of evil type of slavery we think of. And if you notice, Paul gives absolutely no room for slaves to have any type of revenge or retribution at all towards their masters. But in fact, you know what he says? Verse 24, Knowing that from the Lord you will receive the inheritance as your reward, you are serving the Lord Christ. So what Paul is saying, which is going to be completely earth-shattering to any slave who would hear this, that when you obey your master, you are at the same exact time obeying Jesus. How hard you work for your master is exactly how hard you work for your Savior. Let me contextualize that for a second. We don't live in a day and age where there's this type of slavery. But what if you what if you looked at your schoolwork like this? If any of you have a part-time job, if any of you have responsibilities, do you view your school as if you are doing it for the Lord? If you have a part-time job, and you have a horrible boss, and he yells at you and he's cranky, or that the job is just a rut, it's just bad and it drains you, you can tell the Lord, Lord, that, that day was horrible, this Tuesday, was just awful, but Jesus, it was for you. The small book of Philemon, which was, uh, people think that more than likely Philemon was in Colossae at this time when Paul is writing the letter, and Paul is writing to Philemon about a slave named Onesimus, and Paul pretty much tells him to write it off, and which is why people think there's more lengthy description for slave owners like Philemon and Colossae. Do me a favor. Really quick. Look back at 3.1. Let's kind of wrap this up here for a second. 
I feel like 3-1 starts off with a very, at times, scary word. It says, if then you have been raised with Christ. Why is that scary? Because Paul is saying, if you've truly been resurrected with the Messiah Jesus, if you have put your faith in him, your life will seek the things above. Your life will, in everything you do, according to verse 17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. If you have truly been raised with Christ, if you have accepted the gospel, if you have made Jesus your supreme being over your life, if you're going to live under his rule, your life is different. Everything changes. You put off the old man, you put on the new self, you put on Christ. Your, your home is different. In essence, what he's saying, every daily relationship you have changes. If you have been raised with Christ, everything about you is different. He says, he goes on, that they, they take on new meaning and excitement. How you deal with your parents now is actually a result of how you live for Jesus. How you deal with friends at school, your teachers, your employers, your future employees, your future spouse one day, all comes back to how you live under Jesus' rule and reign. Wives now, as though it may be wives and women are always treated poorly and down upon like they are weak, now can joyfully submit to their husbands because ultimately they are serving Christ. Children can obey their parents, not because it will make their parents happy, because it will make their Heavenly Father happy. You know, I'm, tw- I'm about to be 27. I have my own family. I'm you know, more or less a man. Like my parents wouldn't come and... <coughs> tell me how to do stuff. But still to this day, if my parents encourage me or give me advice or warn me or steer me into direction, I listen. And that is pleasing to the Lord. So here, here's the question I want to raise for us tonight. Here's the question I want you to think about. If you really know, love, and worship Jesus, are the people who are closest to you affected by it? Think of, just think for a second, the people that you live under a roof with. Do they know that you live for Jesus? If this week, when it comes to the people who are over you, your parents or your guardians, if you said that my obedience to them is going to be a sign of my love for Jesus, would they, would they be able to tell a difference? Would your siblings know that you love Jesus and that it's changing your life and that you're living under the rule and reign of Jesus? You see, every single person here tonight came to this place to worship Jesus. That's good. That's great. Come back next Sunday. But guess what? Jesus wants to go home with you. He wants in to your relationships. He wants in to how you spend your time. He wants in to how you deal with boyfriends or girlfriends or future spouses. He wants in to how you plan your future. Jesus wants to be supreme in your life. So let me rephrase the question. Is the death of Jesus... Is the death of Jesus for you affecting and shaping every relationship you have. 
Does your spiritual life with God affect the practical day-to-day way of how you live life? If you say you're a Christian, if you say you believe in Jesus, and yet you cannot see how it affects you day-to-day, I would challenge you on what your spiritual life actually is. Because if you think little of your parents and don't give a rip about listening to what they say, you may want to consider if you have then been raised with Christ. I don't typically encourage high school dating, but I did it myself, so I'm in a weird predicament there. But I tell you what, as young and naive as I was in high school, I knew that dating Amy, my wife now, had to look different. Had to look different. My youth pastor's name is Brandon. Brandon is one of the first people where I actually learned to talk about things with a friend. Where before with my friends, I only talked about video games, longboarding, sports. But I learned that in my Christian friendships, it has to be different. I learned that with my biology partner, his name was Brad. That if Christ is going to be Lord of my life, that needs to affect every relationship I have. have. And so I invited him to the youth group, and he came. And to my surprise, he came the next week, and the next week. And he signed up to go to winter camp, and he made a decision to follow Jesus. And six months later, he's being baptized. Because I allowed Jesus to affect every relationship that I had, I married my girlfriend, and we were pure till marriage. I saw friends who didn't even know the story of the cross come to know Jesus and get baptized. I have a great relationship with my parents to this day where I was calling my mom yesterday, talked to her for an hour how to plant a garden. I absolutely love being married to my wife. Although not perfect, we we work it out and we pray together. Paul is saying, listen, when it comes to living under the rule of Christ, it needs to affect every relationship that you have. Like in a weird way, today I was hanging out with Jesse. We're at Big Five. I just start a conversation with this girl. Just start talking. Didn't say much. Started talking about whatever sports stars in the area. Just because I want to be friendly. I want to be nice. And maybe she walks in the church and she sees, I remember this guy with a crazy, wild, bushy beard and he was nice. I don't know. If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above and obey your parents. Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, love your wives. Work hard for the Lord, knowing that everything you do pleases Him. This is what it looks like to have a life that is infused with meaning. Every relationship I have now affects my relationship with Jesus. I hope it does for you too. Let's pray. God, thank you for this passage, the household code in Colossians. Lord, I pray that we would know that The gospel should affect those who are closest to us first. Help us do that better, we pray. Amen.